0: Welcome back to another episode of the State of Love and Trust. It's a Pearl Jam podcast. I am one of your two hosts. My name is Jason Carapesi. I am alongside Paul Ghillyari. Paul, this is a big time show. Big time. It is a big time show. We got a lot happening here. But before we get there, I have to mention hey, guys, there are things you could do to help the show. You can get on the old iTunes or Google Play or wherever the hell. These things are that you listen to them on and
1: rate, review, subscribe.
0: Yeah, those are the three things that would be excellent. On top of following us on on Instagram because we do a lot of fun stuff there. We got clips of the show throughout the week and some other fun stuff. And the uh, on this day live cut feature that we put out on our stories. So check those things out. Uh, being part of the sh- be part of the show and also we will be having down the line uh, we call them fanned fanned fan roundtables. So wherever you may be living, we are going to have a show dedicated to that country. And we're going to talk about your experiences, going to shows, how you got into the band, and all that good stuff. It's going to be great. Um, So that's coming down the pike as well. So reach out to us if you have stories. Um, Already some people uh, chiming in from uh, a couple countries, one of them being Australia. So I'm very excited to get that happening. And Coming soon as well, our Tribute Band series. So, uh, episodes in the can already, and uh, that's going to be a lot of fun too. But anyways, this show, this show, Paul, we've got, uh, we're going to talk about the newest Omaze giveaway uh, that's happening right now, it just launched this week. We will do our um, top three album deep cuts from the first era of the band. So we're going to call that 10 Verses in Vitality. I'll explain what those deep cuts are. We're going to go into our Do the Evolution segment. Where we'll talk about the uh, evolution of ass song. And then we'll do our usual lyrics and live cuts of the week. So, Paul, let's talk about this Omaze thing. Mm-hmm. Our second episode ever, we talked about an Omaze giveaway, charity, raffle thing, whatever you want to call it. I don't know that they actually picked anybody for that. Or if they did, it's not me. <laughs> have you gotten an email, a call? Because I have not. I, I did not, sadly. Okay. So either it hasn't been chosen yet, or we don't care anymore because we haven't been chosen. Anyways. Well,
1: I will tell you that our listeners are going to, they're going to wish that I had been chosen, Jason. Why is because that? Because when they, when they hear the three questions that I would ask, oh. they're going to say, you, Paul, are our proxy, why were you not chosen? Because we had the same questions that Paul did.
0: Yeah, well, that's that's what we're going to do today. This new giveaway, there was, the, there was the big birthday all in package before. We got to go to a show, which obviously that's not going to happen for a while. Yeah. And all this other cool stuff, working on the set list. And that was a whole five songs you'd put on the set list thing that we had in the, in the episode. But today, we're going to talk about this new Omaze giveaway. And I'm going to read some stuff here. Hang out with Eddie Vedder and Jeff Aments at the Pearl Jam exhibit in Seattle this is the uh, EMP uh, museum of pop culture they have a huge Pearl Jam exhibit it's right by the Space Needle in this little park they have there and you'll walk the whole exhibit with Eddie and Jeff and, and you'll have stories and drinks and you actually get to go to visit the London Bridge Studios where they recorded 10 which is pretty cool so you and a friend get to go do that omaze.com and search uh, hang out with Eddie Vedder and Jeff and, Men, and you'll find it Uh, So, I thought, why don't we come up with some questions that we would ask those two gentlemen if we were uh, offered the opportunity. So, I'm going to start with you, Paul. What would be one of the three questions that you would be dying to ask these two guys? Well, the first question
1: that I would want to ask, Jason, is this. We got these outstanding, memorable, beautifully um, constructed box sets Mm. from the band uh, for their ten verses in vitology albums, and I mean they are they're outstanding. They're packaged in a way that it, that, that they're little treasures, man. They're hundred and fifty dollar treasures, but they're, <laughs> they're 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 special. And I was expecting that we were going to get one for every album. Now, granted, I think you know how many people want a pony of one hundred and fifty bucks for a, a riot act box set. I know, I just riled some feathers. But the reality is that I, I don't think the band's heyday necessarily, or at least their, their peak, necessarily ended for diehard fans after Vitology. I think that No Code has ex, it's experienced what I would call a bit of a renaissance in the last 10 years. Well, it came out
0: just this week. It was the anniversary
1: exactly and and i think a lot of fans have really come around to that album and and in many respects it's actually attracted new fans and i think that yield is is on my favorite album list for many pearl jam fans it's not my favorite album but i know a lot of pearl jam fans Mm -hmm. for for whom it is you know uh it's it's pretty high up there on your list too so i i think those two deserve deserve that treatment um, either in isolation from each other or together. I-, I would accept obviously.
0: So your question is why Jeff, when is it happening? Yeah. If I well, s- not
1: when is it happening? Because it, and it, it would go directly to Jeff because I'm pretty sure he's the one that spent all of the time on the artwork with that stuff and, and right. compiling all the souvenirs mm-hmm. that, that uh, you know, go with that whole tour and that experience and, and that stuff takes time. And, but Hey man, they've got time <laughs> <Right>. That's true. <laughs> they, now they, especially right they've now. got time they've had time since since march apparently so i'm just curious you know if stone's correct in saying that they banked all these songs from the gigaton sessions then are they recording new music right now i don't know are they working on side projects probably but I, i'd like to think that there's some room in there for for saying hey you know what Let, let's let's do a proper treatment for these two guys, you know? Now, I think the time has come and gone, sadly, just because we we got the vinyl re-releases and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. So I think at this point, it just, it would come across as just more of a commercialized- uh, They
0: don't know, want to go full kiss as much? as Yeah, the <laughs> I mean, it,
1: it, it, would, it, it, it would come across that way. But I think the fans who would be buying it, like me, would say, well, this is what I had wanted all along, you know? So to me, it's not like a, a grab bag attempt to just reel in. Well, I, I wonder extra, if there's
0: you know. enough extra material that we don't already have. Well, I think you'd have to. No, well, okay.
1: I mean, is there, in there terms enough of out there? Science, I mean, probably not of. that much off of yield. I don't know, but probably uh, his argument. I would what's guess. that?
0: It, uh, that might be his argument: is that there's just not enough out there to really, you know, uh, fill out something of that magnitude. That's true. Because there's a possible. ton on the first two.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I still think
0: it'd be worth it, though. A worthy question. Um, yeah. I'm going to go real simple here, and, and I'm sure they've asked, been asked this before, but I feel like maybe in, a, in an intimate environment without media around and without me you know, with a notepad, I want to know what the story is with the band name. I, I still want to know what the hell is the deal with the name. Yeah, how do Media's, we go
1: from Mookie Blaylock to Pearl Jam?
0: I mean, I know how Mookie Blaylock stopped. That's easy. Yes. The question is, where did it come? Where did Pearl Jam come from? And I know I'm asking a question that literally every Pearl Jam fan and every pre- person in the media has asked every day for the last thirty years. And I'm not being original in asking this question, but guess what? We still don't have an answer to it. And I'm I'm a very curious individual. So they call me Whiskers, <laughs> and I want to know what's the story. Give me give me the scoop. I won't tell a soul.
1: You know, man, um, now I hear you. I hear you.
0: <laughs> I know it's stupid, but come on. All right. What else you got?
1: Okay. So I would say my next question would be this. When they did Pearl Jam 20, right. Mm-hmm. And, and Brendan O'Brien is kind of digging up all these extra songs and, and we get some of these and what was that song? It was like acoustic number two or something like that. Or yes. Yeah. I forget. Was it number two? I believe I so. I believe so. Yeah. I could be wrong, but Brendan O'Brien mentioned that there were at was actually more music out there. And so my question would be, you know, does the band have any intention or will they ever be open to going back to some of that older material and saying, hey, you know what, we've got all these rough cuts and these scraps of music. Uh, you know, it would be cool to put out just like a little... EP, you know LP, if you want. I mean, yeah, how big they want to goes up to them with it, but just this idea of saying, "Hey, let's just kind of do something kind of interesting in that respect." I mean, w- one of my favorite things that Allison Chains ever did was was the Jar of Flies album, and mm. uh, I loved what they did with Sap as well. You know, this coming out with these these smaller albums that just feature the band unplugged. it was just kind of seeing the band in a new light. And I mean, obviously Pearl Jam's music is much more diversified now, but I would still like to see something from them in that respect. And so I I would be hard pressed to, to be sitting there with the guys and not feel the temptation to ask, Mm. Hey, you know, is there, is there any more from from back then that you guys that think might ever get leaked out, you know, or that you guys might be willing to kind of throw onto another lost dogs album, which I guess Ah. would be, you know, in addition to that question, which is are we going to get another Lost Dogs album?
0: Yeah. That that's a separate question, I think. Uh, it would
1: be. That's fair. The, I guess I'm which kind I of think
0: Stone sort of answered that in a Reddit AMA in, in the spring, that he thinks it's a good possibility. Uh, as far as the extra bits that are yet to be released, I said in a previous episode that when these guys are like seventy, right? And they're just, you know, it's at the stones level of where it's just like, yeah, we're not really doing Are much. Are they going to pull
1: a, a Jimmy Page?
0: Yeah, they're just going to go full, you know, deluxe edition, blah, Retrospect. blah, blah. Yeah, it's going to be some like <laughs> five fold, four LP, six CD, like mega thing, you know? That's gonna have every demo of everything ever, really, every anything they could f- possibly find. It's all gonna be released. I mean, that's been happening with Zeppelin and the Beatles every four or five years. There's some new right. crap that they found on a tape somewhere in a garage. So I, I feel like we'll see the light of day at some point.
1: I agree.
0: Um, another question I would have for the guys is for each of them, I would say of the songs that they have personally written for the band, what is the one defining song? They have to choose one that defines their songwriting abilities, their favorite track that they've written. I'd I'd be very curious to see what each of them would say. Because we- That's a really good question. We are literally doing that for each one of these band members. We've done Matt, we've done Jeff, and we'll get to everybody at some point. And it's like, we know what we think their best um, contributions are to the band. What do they think they are? Yeah. That'd be fascinating.
1: And I bet they're not the songs we, we would think that they are either. Right. Case in point, and you know our, our listeners will, will get a taste of this later, when we interviewed the great band Black Circle, and we asked them what some of their favorite songs were to play, the answers that we got, actually, were not the ones that a lot of people would assume they would Correct. say. Yes. You know?
0: Yes. Good tease. Call it a tease in the Mm -hmm. biz. All right. So what's your last question that you asked? Okay.
1: So my last question is this. In 2013, uh, Christian Bale starred in a film called Out of the Furnace. And the director for that film, Out of the Furnace, hired Eddie Vedder to score the film. So this was, you know, we got into the wild and this was going to be the encore in terms of, of Eddie Vedder's second attempt at, at, not attempt, but second time, essentially, producing and composing a soundtrack for a film. Ultimately, he, re- he recorded, actually, a full soundtrack's worth of songs. And when they layered the music onto the film, they both agreed not to do that. Now, the song release was included in the film. But none of that other music was, and the the reason given, according to the director, was that it was so good, and so distinctly Eddie Vedder, that you couldn't separate. I'm sorry, uh, it was it was too. It's it stuck out like a sore thumb. Right. Basically, he was essentially saying that like it instead of it like when you when you have a composer create a soundtrack for your album, y- you don't want it to sound distinctly different than the film. Right? It should be it should complement the right. Yep, the story, the narrative that you're seeing on the screen. And I think that it felt more like a, like a music video essentially for, for the, the music, because the music was, was so notable. I Probably
0: guess. the reason that man of the hour was the closing credits song and not in the movie for big fish.
1: Yeah, exactly. Right. And so I think this music is there and I mean, okay, so fine. So it's just sitting on a reel somewhere, I guess. And so, I guess my question to Eddie at this point would be, are you ever going to release this? You know, I mean, uh, I think people would love
0: it. Uh, that was that, shortly after, um, that was shortly after the, uh, into the wild, right? Cause into the wild was like, what? Oh eight. Uh, well this was 2013. Um, oh, so much, I had to be after. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. I was unaware of that actually. So now I'm curious.
1: It's okay. it, it's really cool, man. I mean, uh, it, the the film itself is is so so. It, it wasn't a the great film, but it, it it was a pretty good one. I how mean, it end a leak? I don't I, I don't know. It hasn't how it hasn't leaked. I think that he he probably, yeah. I mean, I, you'd think a sound engineer at some point would have been like, "Man, this is outstanding." I'm gonna yeah. dump this somewhere, especially back in 2013. But there's actually a on Pearl Jam's website through their uh the forum there's actually a petition to release the music from out of the Furn- furnace really? yeah so if, if you go on there you'll see a whole thread um and just type in just google petition to release eddie vaders out of the furnace songs and you'll see this whole thread with all these comments and there's some really interesting tidbits in here um like some people are thinking well it's it's not our right, you know, to, to ask for these things. And other people are like, I'm in, you know, show me where it is. I'll sign it. And it's fascinating because we, we don't really get it. Now, my question is, is is it predominantly ukulele driven? I mean, he re-recorded release. He did? Yeah. Like if, Why? If, if, I don't know. If you listen to the trailer, if you watch the trailer for the film, I'm almost positive that it's a, a re-recorded, like, modern version of release. Where they, the it's kind of like what, it's like what they did with Black in, what was it, 2010? And, oh, yeah. and Once, where they basically played the song again, right? Um, I think we get that from release and you hear it in the, if I'm not mistaken, you hear it in the trailer. But then during the film, I want to say you hear the original version playing or it's vice versa. It's been a long time, but I'm really curious where that, all that music went and whether or not we're ever going to see it again because it, it would it would be lovely to see it again hmm. or to hear it. I should say you use the right verb here, Paul.
0: Well, my last question would simply be another, what's your favorite kind of thing to them. And, and I would want to know what their favorite tour was and why. Oh,
1: that'd because be Because
0: I feel like they probably won't say the mid nineties, but maybe they would, maybe they'd surprise me. Maybe they would say, Oh, you it's know, when we
1: boycott a ticket master and played out in the boonies that's like there's
0: gotta be a story as to why there's
1: people off no,
0: like it, it probably is something on a uh, what's the word what's the opposite of obvious subtle yeah it's gotta be a, a subtle tour like oh yeah canada in 05
1: yeah, exactly. New, newfoundland
0: newfoundland was great <laughs> like what
1: melbourne i got it right this yeah time. melbourne
0: yeah. <laughs> So mine aren't aren't as fun as yours, but I would still be very curious to know what their favorite tour is, why, what's up with the band name, and what other defining songs. These are like you know fanboy questions we have to ask them, and I probably sure. had better had longer time. Of course, time. man, of course. But anyways, let's get on to uh, the main meat here. This is best album, Deep Cuts, and it's from nineteen ninety 1990 to nineteen ninety five. So you have got to choose from those first three albums. Like I said, these, these are album deep cuts because you cannot choose a B-side. That's a whole separate episode. Correct. We got to fill out content here. So Correct. what's a deep cut? I feel like that's a very subjective question and we decided you,
1: you have to define this, Jason.
0: Yeah. Well, especially for our purposes, we have to define it. So we were on the mm-hmm. same page here and I believe we've decided that it cannot be a single already. You're ruled out if you're a single official single. And after that point, it's a little subjective because it's, it's is the song basically a staple regardless of its non-single status? So songs like Black, Rearview Mirror, Better Man, those are staples. Those are not deep cuts, but they are not singles either. So we did a little bit of judgment here, a little subjective judgment, and we compiled a pool of songs that, that could be considered deep cuts. Some are deeper than others. And you may have had one higher up in the table because it's deeper than others, and that might have waited it for you. I don't know. And,
1: and I will say, Jason, that uh, for those listening, when we finally post this, I'd love to hear what everybody else would choose as as some of their favorite deep cuts from from this uh, era of the band.
0: I'm curious if I get any flack for. Oh, you will. Of mine, I'm sure I will.
1: For me, probably
0: now. The, <laughs> <I'm kidding. laughs> and the show has jumped the shark already. Right All right. Well, Paul, maybe you should go first. I will. I'm going with
1: once. Okay, once Ooh, upon a yeah. time. Yeah, the reason being is because when I honorable heard, mention or number three. No, it's not. I don't actually. Okay, this is my number three. Okay, but if if you want an honorable mention, I'll save my honorable mention for the very end, and you can begin with yours. So we'll we'll do it a little differently this time. Okay, fair enough. Okay, so. For me, number three is once. And the reason it's once is because when when I, obviously 10 was the first time I ever heard Pearl Jam, right? Mm -hmm. And that song immediately spoke to me. It spoke to everything I was as a teenager at the time. Confused. uh, Actually,
0: I should probably
1: walk that back. (laughs) I should probably walk that back. (laughs) Oh, man. Whoops. Um, god how do i walk this back uh okay so look it, it, when you're a teenager you're angry you know we spoke about this when, when we talked about uh how we got into the band right yeah. the, on our, this was our very first episode when you're a teenager you're angry and you don't even know why you're angry uh, granted there's there's a lot of uh, teens that are at risk and and they have legitimate reasons to be angry sure um i i was not at risk right i grew up in a loving household and whatnot and but I was angry anyway, right? And I, I just think that the reason that you're angry is because you, you the, your ego is on overdrive as a, as a teenager because it, it wants, right? The ego feeds off of want. And so you want, 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 and you, it, you don't even know why you're wanting. And, and there's a frustration in that because basically you, it's insatiable, right? And so you're never comfortable in your own skin. And I think that's why those years are so hard and awkward for folks during the development. So this particular song, it just captured the essence of that frustration. You know, I mean, absent the the sadistic serial killer lyrical content. And it grabbed me, man. Like, I heard that and I was like, who are these guys? This band rocks, man. And I've been in love ever since. So It was my favorite song on the album for I don't even know how long until it was... Uh, Violently usurped by black, or lovingly, I should say,
0: loving. Right? I was going to say until black finally dips its claws into you. Exactly, yeah. exactly.
1: So yeah, that that would be me. The my my first big deep cut.
0: Okay. Um, I'm going to quickly touch on my honorable mention, which is indifference. Yes. Good yeah. call. Yeah, it's um, it's quite different from, or than, uh, much of what came before it. Um, mm-hmm. at least to my ear, when I first listened to the record. And it's such an exhale after like a really emotionally draining album with so many highs and lows. It always elicits such a great reaction from a crowd, too. It's rarely played yes. live, it's been played 162 times. Um, and when it's played, it's often with a guest, often Ben Harper, honestly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There are so many memorable lyrics from this song. Those verses, you know, I, I will stare the sun down until my eyes go blind. I will. Oh, hold it's poetry handle in it's finest. Yeah. To, to, you know, it's so many great lines in this song. Scream my lungs out till it fills the room. I mean, geez. And then as, as a musical piece, you know, just bassline is like this simple doomed, 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 this little kind of bouncy droning thing but it's kind of all you need and then you have the the cool guitar bits on the opposite uh, opposite sides of the mix and then there's the the organs that kind of set the bed and it's such an interesting musical journey that's so different from everything else they were doing and i feel like this is obviously just a, a big it's a big platform for eddie and he does so much with it and he just wails and it, just asking a very fundamental question that feels very poignant right now against the backdrop that we are with that we are on this, you know, another unarmed black man being being shot um, and a Republican National Convention detached from reality. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, these two things are happening right now. And and I'm not, um, not going to go down those avenues, but those two things are creating a lot of tension in America, the, the, regardless of how you feel about either of those things. If you think I'm a, an idiot for saying what I just said about those two things that that's the point is that we are on very tense tightropes right now in regards to this country and, and so asking the question you know or I, I should back up and say you know screaming your lungs out until it fills the room and then thinking well what difference does any of this make because everyone's kind of stuck in the ground here and, and whatever right. side they're on You know, And for the people who think they're on the right side, they're going to keep on fighting. And that's kind of the hope part of this song, Um, the subtext for me, at least, in my opinion. And all those things kind of wrap up to make a phenomenal song that I wish they played more often because when I've seen it, and I've seen it uh, three times, it is tremendous.
1: Hmm.
0: All right, so what what have you got for your proper number two?
1: So my proper number two would be WMA.
0: Ooh. Yeah. Wow, I like uh, it.
1: Interesting. Now, w- what's interesting about these selections is that they represent my favorite song off the album after listening to the album for the very first time. Oh. Yeah, so I, it, WMA is no longer my favorite song on Versus, but when I first heard the album, it was the song that spoke to me the most. That's and very
0: interesting to me. I don't mean to cut you off, but I find yeah. that so interesting because in 1993, when it came out, mm-hmm. you were, let's say, what, 11? hmm So, as an 11-year-old who is, he's Angry Boy, songs like Once are Speaking to Him where black really isn't as much, wants that straight-ahead rock and roll shit, and Versus comes out, and it's got a, a lot of that same energy going on A lot of straight ahead rockers Well I was
1: 12 actually Come to think of it
0: Sorry 12 You had a lot of growing up to do Between the limits. Yeah oh yeah <laughs> A lot of growing up to do And uh So you come into this album And WMA is your original
1: I've always been drawn Towards these percussion centric tracks Like a band that I think is A great band And one of the most underrated bands Of kind of The last 10 years Is a band called uh and Berlin. And mm-hmm. some of my favorite tracks from this band are, are very percussion based. Um, Candlebox from the Pearl Jam era, another great underrated band that, that I've always loved. Uh, my favorite song from them is a song called You and it's very you know percussion based and the guitar is a beautiful compliment to it. And I don't know, there's just something about the drums sometimes that just, that they really pop for me. There's nothing on verses like WMA either. Uh, There's a certain like tribal nature to it in in an interesting sort of way. Um, And I like the atmosphere of it. I like the vocals kind of like in that distant background. I freely admit that the lyrical examination of police brutality, like we have ad nauseum reviewed and talked about this. So I'm not going to, you know, retread all that stuff again, but uh, When I listen to the song now, obviously, it continues to be poignant for all the reasons we've spoken about in prior episodes, and so I think the song has just remained relevant for all the wrong reasons, and I think in that respect, it's a very underrated deep cut, and I think that if they get a chance to tour it again anytime soon, that it's going to be a song that that I would be shocked if they didn't feature actually on the tour, Um, especially in cities where we've seen this type of police brutality. Um, and injustice, racial and social injustice. But the song itself, you know, just let's talk about it from a musical standpoint. Let's, and I, that's probably not fair to the song to ignore the lyrics. But because we've covered it so much, that's yeah, why I just want right to focus out. on the music. Yep. Um, th- it, you know, you, you get that like cool, like seven. It feels like like a seventies wah in the beginning, coming in with the with the drums, and then um, it just explodes towards the end. No, and uh, it. I like that slow build, you know, That per, it was percussion heavy and it's a slow build and it just kind of really comes together at the end. And it, I just thought it was an extremely well composed track and it it's in, in it's infectious, man. I mean, it, it's it's to this day, I think it is. Um, I, I, I don't think I've ever heard it either. So I would love to hear that song live.
0: Really? Oh, and, yeah. and as a non tag, you're saying
1: correct. Yeah. Like, I don't want to hear it as a tag to daughter. I mean, I want to hear it as it, you know what I mean? Well,
0: it's been played a hundred and twenty-two times, but I have to go to my pro my, my app, but I, which I'm doing right now. Yeah, we should plug that. 106 of those one hundred twenty-two are tags, so only sixteen proper plays. That's that. I mean, sixteen,
1: dude. That's insanity. Sixteen?
0: That's, uh, can you believe that? It, it my, uh, it says that I've seen it twice. Really? August fifth, twenty sixteen, in Boston, and August tenth, twenty eighteen. In Seattle. I honestly don't remember if they <laughs> played it in, Nuts. in full. Wow. But if so, that's really weird that I would have seen that twice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, like you said, it's probably for them sort of having a comeback because of the lyrics. And if we had a tour right now, we'd probably be featured a lot, like you said. All right. Uh, my number three, mm-hmm. my proper number three is Garden. I love this song. I love the music in this song. It feels really unique to me from Stone's main verse riff that that picking pattern he has. It's like this. It's a triplet A minor arpeggio, and I don't know that they have anything like that on the first record. Um, you know, arpeggios are one thing, but but a triplet thing is more of like a. At least in the music that I grew up, it's it's more of a metal thing, at least uh-huh. picking pattern-wise. You know, you dun- 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 that whole Iron Maiden, Metallica thing. Obviously, this is not that, but the way that the notes come out, it's got a different feel than most things that Stone has written to my ear. And it just sounds so beautiful and complex that, that Mike doesn't need to do much around it, but play a little Hendrix-style fills here and there. Jeff... The bass lines—I touched on it before. Wow, bass harmonics all day on his fretless bass, just up and down the old neck. There, it's a very eerie sonic dimension underneath everything. It's this very uneasy, anxious feeling. The chorus riff is just so damn heavy. It's so dissonant sounding, especially with—I with, uh, believe—the the chords are kind of augmented by what Jeff plays underneath. So it's just this really, really weird, dissonant sounding chord. So heavy. Um, and Ed singing over top of it is awesome. And then you dive into this bridge outro riff, which is, is incredibly heavy. It's really simple, but it feels like it's kind of pulling you into each measure as they come by. Down, 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 down. Just yanking you down with it. The outro especially, with Mike going crazy on the solo underneath, just adds this just wild, um, it's it's manic almost, just all over the place. and. Ed saying, "You know, I don't need you for me to live." That's incredible. Over top of that, I mean, this there was a long time they didn't play this one, and it bugged me. <laughs> and it's still quite rare, but thankfully I have seen it. Um, I've seen it twice. It's been played 152 times total, so not a whole lot. Given that it was uh, from their first album, I look forward to hearing it again. And it's, uh, it's just, it's just so good. What is your Favorite number one deep cut.
1: Oh, it's by far nothing, man.
0: I knew you were gonna say that. I knew it. Of course you did.
1: Yeah. It's well. It's 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 arguably one of my top five to ten favorite songs from the band ever. You know, Um, it's it's just such a haunting, beautiful song. Um, And you know, we talked a lot about it when it was the lyric of the week, or I should say, when a lyric from the song was featured as a lyric from the week, if I recall. Mm -hmm. And you know it's that idea like if, if you love somebody don't screw it up you know what I mean um,
0: actually I should correct you it was uh, Vitalogy Over Under that's what it was we spoke about Thank Nothing you. Man and I look forward Thank to actually diving deeper into Nothing Man probably uh, hopefully soon but yes yeah. carry on it's uh,
1: it, it's it's such a beautiful track I love the way it opens with that kind of like vinyl swing you know yep exactly and then uh, it's it, it's so clean and warm, <laughs> and it has this analog sound. So
0: often, I love it. Uh, well, it's it when just, they plug in, and it's clean.
1: Yeah, and now it's like, hey, <laughs> you you rarely hear it, and when you do, it's like an unplugged acoustic guitar, which is fine, you know. But I I wish they, it's like that, and off he goes. Like I just love to hear those songs reflected more more faithfully to the way that they're played on the album, because I think the way that they were presented on the album it adds a dimension to the song that you lose when you play it differently. Hmm. Um, now that's not to suggest that you can't play off. He goes with a distorted guitar, which they often do, or you can't play nothing man with uh, an unplugged acoustic. Y- you certainly can't. Right. Um, but I'd love, it, it just, it loses atmosphere when you do it that way. Um, so yeah, I don't know, man. I, I think that, uh, this particular song, it's just, it's just a beautiful track and, uh, it's paced wonderfully. Um, it's,
0: it's just, one just one of my finest. favorite songs. Yeah,
1: it's, it, it is, our, it, it is, I, I think I said it was his best song. You
0: might actually, have actually, yeah. When,
1: when we went over what we felt were Jeff's best Yeah, you, I,
0: I believe you did. And, uh, 135 times. I know. So again. I, I
1: think I heard it once actually. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I want to say that I did during the Backspacer tour. I think I might
0: have heard it. Well, if you, if you did, then I. Oh, yes, I have. I've seen it. Uh, actually, I have the notes up here. Uh, I've seen or it seven we times. We saw
1: it together at the sports arena when, they did, when we did that
0: two-step. We, we saw it together in October 7th, 2009, Universal so, yeah, City. The,
1: okay. That's that. That's and then. The remembered.
0: Uh, that's it. Yeah, for, okay. For you so, and I together. Right. So it's. um.
1: It's just an extraordinary song. I wish they'd play it more often. Um, I I've never met a Pearl Jam fan that didn't like that song. I'm surprised okay. it's not more of a staple, actually. I'd love to know why they don't play it more often. Maybe well, that should be my fourth you question. I was just gonna, you have four
0: questions. There you
1: go. <laughs> why exactly. aren't we not thinking more? Yeah. I mean, you asked them one time why they didn't play in no way, you know? And yeah. It was just, sometimes it's just like the band members just like, eh, yeah, I'm not a big fan of it, you know? And it's, it, I, I'll never forget Brother. Right, they played brother, and if you read the liner notes from Lost Dogs, I guess Stone wrote that song, and Mike loved it. He said, "Man, it's just it's a killer jam," and Stone just got sick of playing it, and he didn't want to play it anymore. And he goes, "I'm still bummed because I love that song. I wish we played it more often." It's interesting how you can write something and sour on it, and everybody else is like, "You're insane! This is outstanding! This is fucking awesome, man!" Yeah. Anyway, pardon my French.
0: I wonder if there's a swear counter up. Someone's mm-hmm. recording how many. St- I'm sure I'm winning. Well, you see,
1: yeah, well, you're you're obliterating me on that quota. Right. I would say that we probably need to put up one of those. Uh, what are they? The NFSW or whatever.
0: You always acronym. get it backwards. NSFW. Yes, I always do get it. backwards. Not safe for work. Not safe for work. Well, exactly. You know, Apple puts up the little E for explicit, so we're we're covered.
1: Are we explicit? Explicitly awesome. That's what we
0: are. There it is. Yeah. Um, my second favorite, um, deep cut is release.
1: Oh, hold on a sec. That is a staple. I don't think so. What? They were ending like every show for various tours with that song.
0: It's only been played 171 times. Nuts. It's been played basically as many times as garden as indifference as, as nothing man.
1: All right, I'll give that to you. So,
0: I that's one of the bugaboos people are gonna be like, What? But if you look it up, it honestly has not been played that much. Um, so 171 times, I've seen it four, so I am lucky in that regard. Yeah, you are. Um, but it's it's such a powerful song. Um, uh, missing someone you really love. Are there any better songs, at least in the Pearl Jam library? I, I don't know. Um, Comeback is very good, but it's probably no release. No. And you know the, the music builds so well, and then comes down, and builds up again, and comes down, and builds up to the end. Yeah, repeating that line, "Oh dear, Dad," at the beginning of, of a couple of verses there, and especially for anyone who's lost a father under terrible circumstances, it's it's wild. I mean, my brother in law, his uh, his father passed away from COVID in March, and I only met the guy one time but he was an incredibly sweet guy full of joy full of love i I spent three days with him and when i think of that and i think of my dad or people who have had their fathers unfortunately pass away early on you get that immediate bit of sympathy and empathy um you instantly know how that other person's feeling And, and for you know a friend or or someone that you really get on with you know that's one thing but to have a father who's a mentor guiding light it's damn near impossible to replace or replicate that kind of person in your life so it's just it's even bigger mm-hmm. um and I've, I've said it before but I, I talk about dr john evans in the um let's play two film um at wrigley field in 2016 mm-hmm. um how important that song was to him right and, You know, I can only imagine many people feel the same way. You know, that main riff from Stone, it's an arpeggio D riff, uh, D chord, I should say. Simply fantastic. It's just so simple. but It's simply fantastic. And when you hear it as the first notes of a show, you just know it's going to be an amazing night.
1: Yeah, and it always is.
0: It always is. So I have to put it number two um, for all those reasons. And despite your initial reaction of like, what, that's a staple? I wish it was a staple. I don't... I don't truly think it is 171 times. It's like, I I think it's like in the bottom half of played on the album 10. Hmm. So there you go. So what what would be your uh, honorable mention then? My honorable mention
1: would be immortality Uh, played 175 times. So only nine more times in indifference. So I think that, that uh, that would still qualify. Right.
0: Well, I'm looking up whether or not it was a single
1: Oh, I no, I don't. Th- oh, you know what? I think it, it, it was it the was third, a single. It was
0: the third single.
1: It was the third single. What a great single it was. That's okay, man. That's okay because I I have
0: a back. It isn't just... much played though. So I'm no, right. not, you know mention, I'll give you a little I, bit I, of a pass.
1: I, I I there's no loophole. I man, I didn't I didn't have the loophole that that you had. So I I got to go back to the drawing board. But that's okay. <laughs> it's okay. Um, I, I I would say indifference. I would. Um, but that would be cheating because you've already mentioned it.
0: That's not cheating. Well, that would that
1: would have been my honorable mention if if I could.
0: That's as cheating as Led Zeppelin ripping off all those blues riffs for the first two albums. Uh, well, it's honoring. Don't 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 hate on Led Zeppelin, man. That's I like, love Led one Zeppelin. One of the greatest of my bands of all time. time. Exactly. Uh, can I can I throw you a curveball on this? Oh, please go for it. Okay. I love curveballs. I can't hit them, but I love them. You ready? Any questions.
1: Aya Davinita, am I supposed to respond to that? I mean, you, that was the response.
0: <laughs> so your your honorable mention now is Aya Davinita.
1: Well, look, no, it's it's because uh, they walked out indifference. to mythology. It <laughs> it's indifference, but here's my thing: they have played bugs, sure, yeah. right? I actually have a version of them playing a like a, a short excerpt of Foxy Mop live right it only lasts for like a minute and a half but i mean he's he's literally saying the lines the spoken word right i don't have anything for to, or i Davenita," and i would love like why are those the two you know i don't want to call them filler tracks but maybe they were i don't think yeah. they were filler it's, I, I think it was part interludes. of the concept yeah interludes exactly why are those two never played um, i was they i never played What's that?
0: Why has Red Dot never played?
1: That's another one, right? I mean, so I think, uh, but for whatever reason, like Pry 2 is just kind of, it's got a really like lazy kind of like groove to it. But need to, I actually enjoy that one. Like it, when that comes on, I just kind of <laughs> grew with it a little bit. Mm-hmm. So, you know, um, it's, it's kind of underrated, man. I, I, I would imagine that most folks who listen to Vitology, if you skip through the interludes, I bet you, That's the one that you actually let play all the way through. And I want to say that it's, it's the longest one of the group.
0: I have to double check the timestamp on that, but it might be. Pry 2 is a minute, three seconds. Okay. Foxy Mop is technically 744.
1: Yeah, but that's not an interlude.
0: Aya Dominita is 258. There you go. That is a song, bro. That's not an interlude. That's a Eberzisi, song. Abrazisi, ament, McCready Gossard, Vetter.
1: Oh, there you go. So the whole band, exactly. So to me, it it it's a song, you know. And uh, and I. So is it your honorable mention? I, I don't song. understand what's happening right now. It is. Uh, well, I'm not going to look. Indifference would be, but you already talked about it. I don't want to be redundant, so I'm throwing, you know, right. a, an underrated
0: li- li- little guy in there that probably never gets talked about. Okay, the the Why one not? fan who loves that track is so excited right now
1: (laughs) right look you know what hey in fairness if if you if you if you go to first of all okay fine it doesn't have like traditional words (laughs) It, it hold on it doesn't it doesn't okay it's just it's just it's not traditionally a song per
0: se but it's
1: okay it's it's mumbled right however if you go through the book of vitology the booklet itself there's actually a page in the booklet for Aya Davinita, and underneath it, it says, um, "It says the song without words." Okay, so if you look at that, there's actually a poem, and it tells the story of this girl's life, her best and her worst days, and you're kind of looking at her as she compares. She's basically being compared to a work of art. So, this song was actually, if you think about it, a, re- a reflection of this poem in a lot of ways. And I find it interesting that they added that in the liner notes for, or I should say, in the booklet itself for the album. So, when you get a chance, open that up, get your
0: copy of Itology,
1: flip to the lyrics, right? The lyrics page of I
0: had. He's David. doing air quotes right now, by the way.
1: I am. I am doing air quotes. And you will you will actually see that that's there. Read that poem. I'm not going to read it here on the on the podcast, but read that poem and just let that play and sit with that and just see where it takes you. I would love to know. I think this this is this should be a conversation piece. Okay. Not tonight, but I will will it into existence <laughs> soon.
0: <laughs> okay, you're that'll not be, that'll, that'll be a thing eventually. I I'd be I be down. I'm just looking at the clock right now. I'm like, holy Jesus, we're spending. Six minutes and I had Davonita. All right. May I move on? Please. To my number one, my, my favorite deep You're cut. Your number one. Once Upon a Time, my friend. There you go. Once Upon a Time. The mama's son. Um, yeah, This the thing with Once is, and you chose the number three, I'm choosing it as the number one. Um, It's the beginning of Pearl Jam, like you said, to many people, but it was never a single. And... Outside of the first few tours where they didn't have much to pull from, it slowly was kind of dropped more and more often. You know, the the most played uh, of my list is also my favorite Deep Cut. It was played 340 times, which is a decent amount. I've seen it six, which is really cool. Uh, I think it's more of a correlation um, between how long it's been a song and number of plays as a, as opposed to being it, or being a regular feature um, the vast majority of plays happened before 2003 and mm-hmm. in the, in the last 17 years it's it's not been played all that much at all to be honest with you so it's kind of weighted in that in that sense the opening riff that whole chorus riff oh, man what, you said it before what an incredible riff and yeah. it's just so It just gets you jacked up immediately. The whole outro is so powerful. Every time I've seen this song live, the crowd is going nuts. And I feel like, in my experience, they, the crowd, has sung along with every lyric of that chorus and that song, really, only like alive. Where the whole fucking place is just going ape shit and singing everything and like Ed's on the on the those little dividers at the bottom of the on the floor and reaching out to the audience and it's this incredible energy and you know it may not be as deep as other tracks but it's deep in the history of the band only three songs were on the mama son trilogy alive was a single footsteps is a b-side and they have once in the middle of this story this second act of this story that's an original, right. an original track. Um, I actually just watched a weird um, interview between uh, uh, Jeff, or with, I'm sorry, with Stone and Ed on in New York from 90, 91 or 92. I just stumbled upon it. And, he, and it explains, oh, my best friend, uh, Jack, gave me this cassette, yada, yada. The whole story that we already know, but hearing him say it from 1991 is just really strange. It's just so deep in the, in the band's history, and to not have really had much of it in the last seventeen years—the second half of the band's career—it's—it's—it's it's, it's a treat to hear this song now live. Mm-hmm. And while Ed can't quite hit the notes like he used to be able to do,
1: no, there, there's no like aggressiveness to it anymore. It's uh... well, hold on.
0: I, there's no, there's not the same level of aggressiveness because because of of his singing, but the music is still there, and because they oh, for sure help out, it kind of brings it up again not the same way but in the same way that alive i mean he can't sing it exactly like he used to sing alive either or any of the 10 songs for that matter except for maybe like you know oceans or release. but the vibe is still there and it's just so damn damn good nice that's
1: what i got that was a perfect bookend because i started with once that's and true and this with once see this worked accident. out
0: well <laughs> all right Let's move on. Ah, And Paul, we're moving on to our Do the Evolution segment. And we're going to talk about one of those uh, deep cuts that we mentioned earlier. It's Garden. And the evolution of this song is interesting. Um, It's really only had two iterations. Uh, It was not played from June 25th, 1995 all the way to June 1st, 2000. And then it was played like five times. And then it wasn't played from August 12th, 2000 to May 5th, 2006. So really there's this little five show gap Mm -hmm. uh, amongst, what is that? 11 years, All right. then they play it again in 2006, but they change it. And I'll read you something that, that Mike McCready once said. He said, in regards to Garden, that one was really hard. Stone came in and we're all kind of tired. And he's like, I've got this idea. I want to rework Garden. And we're like, mm-hmm. Oh man, let's just go home, you know? We already have Garden, and it was a tough thing because I think Ed was at the kind of at the end of his rope. We were getting ready to go on tour, but after we did it about 10 or 20 times, it came out okay. And Stone rearranged the whole thing. Yeah, he arranged that whole idea. I think he just woke up one morning and started messing around. I was skeptical at first, but it's fun to bring that thing back. So definitely you can get the sense that this was a song that Mike always liked, and kind of like Brother's, wish that they were play a little bit more as the sense I'm getting. And so they changed the song. Paul, it was kind of, it, it was weird. It, it was
1: weird. I think
0: they, he turns it into
1: a rock song. I mean, it, it goes from this very introspective haunting um, kind of what feels like an existential journey into an examination of life and death. And we'll talk about the, the the lyrics perhaps at some point. And it turns into this kind of like E minor driven, just boom, boom, boom intro. And and you, you you, it, I don't know, it, it might not be an E minor chord, but uh, it feels like an E minor chord, I'll tell you. It's A-mar. fun, which is kind of cool. And you're wondering, where are they going with this? Is this a new song when you first hear it? And then suddenly you hear that familiar arpeggio that you were, you were talking about earlier and I like the originality and the creativity and the attempt to just veer off the beaten path with this track, but it wasn't a song that was played so much in my opinion that it needs something like that. Um, You know, when they did that with Jeremy, I thought it was very counterculture. You know, here's the song that, you know, the proverbial made us song. And, you know, here's a big F you and we're just going to rework it. Uh, So I think in in those instances, it's interesting. But uh, this was a song that that didn't necessarily need it to me. And it's interesting because I want to say that this happened around the same time that they reworked Porch as well, or at least the intro of it. I want to say that they... It's a different intro to Porch uh, when they did Letterman back in 06.
0: So they, they slowed it. They, Ed played it for one. Exactly. He played it really slowly. They, they actually did do that um, similarly, but, but I think at the proper speed way back in the day. Right. But most of us recognize it as the album version. Mm-hmm. So they, they did that for the longest time, and then yeah, yeah. around oh six they they brought it back where Ed started. Don't du- 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 so and then and would... I don't
1: know why they were doing this. I don't know if it was hey you know this is our rebirth album right? It's, it's 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 titled Pearl Jam right? There's no album title other than Pearl Jam. So maybe they were just feeling nostalgic and they were bringing back all the ten stuff. I don't know what, what was the deal, but uh, uh, you know, I, they, I when did the re release for ten come out? That was uh, two thousand nine nine right okay so this is a few years before that i don't i doubt that they were you know mining through all the old stuff in preparation for it that early so for whatever reason at that particular time in 06 this was just kind of where they were at just various band members just exploring different ways to do things like that I wouldn't be surprised if Eddie if one informed the other right either Eddie was playing around the porch and that gave Stone the idea let go you know let Mm -hmm. me just take something else or vice versa I'm not sure but uh, it doesn't work for me the way that I wish it did it's not a version of the song that I actively seek out I will say that
0: I um, it, it was played 15 times all in 2006 when they stopped playing it in 06 next time they played the song was in 2008 in New York back to the original it's you said it right it, they changed it to a more traditional rock arrangement you know that bound boom, bound bound yeah. leads things off and then goes into the quiet arpeggio and then the first chorus is actually doubled it's repeated once and the first time through it's just ed and stone mm-hmm. it's really slow like really kind of um it's somber, but it's, it's very, um, what's the what word I'm looking for? It's not bombastic or heavy or hit you in the face. It's, it's, it's just, it's the opposite of that. I can't think of the word. i having a brain fart right now, but then they come into it and it just, it goes back to the bridge thing. They, they basically just take the bridge and just add it a few extra times and it ends the same way, but it, yeah, it just doesn't feel right. I I mean, I, I guess it's kind of like, if you read Michael Crichton's Jurassic Park before you watched the movie, obviously the, the book is better. But if it's the reverse, the movie's tremendous. Right. So some people, maybe the younger fans, who that was their first introduction to garden, I don't know how that would be, but who knows, maybe. They might think, oh, this is great. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I think the original is perfectly fine. And I'll sum it up with this. Jeff Ament Jeff said, We went through a phase during our second, third, fourth records where we tried to rework those popular songs and do different things to them. And you know, every single time you'd go through a phase where you'd fall in love with a new version and then all of a sudden, you'd listen back to it at some point. You'd be like, man, the old version is way better. We were playing a different version of Garden and we ended up going back to the old version. And thankfully they did. And now Paul, Toy lyric of the Week. Paul, this lyric of the week comes from ten. Hey, it comes from Garden.
1: Perfect segue that we had with that whole discussion. How
0: did that happen?
1: I don't know. Somebody must have planned that.
0: (laughs) Well, here we are. We're talking garden and we've chosen the chorus lyrics. And this song, for me at least, has often, for a long time, been something that's been kind of hard for me to define. At first, I thought it was maybe about domestic violence and or a bad relationship. And then maybe I thought, well, maybe it's refusing mainstream society. Maybe the Garden of Stone is like a metaphor for New York and it's like a symbol for humanity's desire to go higher and bigger and farther and all that crap. Maybe that's it. And then, you know, then you think about things maybe more literally and say, okay, well, what's a Garden of Stone? Well, that could be a cemetery, of course, right? It could be very easily thought of as a cemetery. So then I thought, okay considering when this is written around the Gulf War, maybe it's anti-war. Maybe that shadow flag is the American flag or the POW MIA flag. And the subject feels that he's been lied to or taken advantage of by his country. Maybe he's upset and disgusted by what he's meant to do for and in the name of that country, America. Um, You know, hands-bound, face-blood. You know, that could be... Facing torture and death. And that could be the whole P-O-W-M-I-A thing. Maybe. There's a lot of ways this song could be taken. Um, and each verse and chorus actually seemingly is open to interpretation. So I'm going to go a different route. I'm going to say maybe that it's a more personal way, a more intimate way. Simply just fighting the good fight despite being battered and maybe even losing. I will not go down without a fight. I will not be beaten down into submission. You will not make me go where you want me to go. If I go there, it's of my own volition, even if it means the end of me, hence the garden of stone. It's a very stubborn song. It's a very proud take. And I think that it can be both good and bad, depending on the front for which you're being stubborn or proud. And I guess it's always in the eye of the beholder. But if it's for the good then I could see this being a very positive song, even though it has a very kind of negative mood to it. Where, where do you, I feel like you're going to give me some like crazy cool third layer. I haven't even thought of what, what, what you got.
1: Oh man. Look, when I first heard this song, I was younger. It, it sounded like a love song to me. A, like, love, a love song. Like, it, it did. Like it to me, it was like, the direction of the eye, like, you know, who you're looking at. So misleading. It kind of leads you to somebody that you don't, you shouldn't be with. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, the deflection of the soul, right. So instead of looking at her for who she is, you're caught by something else, nauseously quick, right. The deflection of the soul. I don't question our existence. I just question our modern needs, meaning like the, the, the sexually driven was what we, what we have become as a species in so many respects, at least in our youth. And, uh, you know, he goes on to talk about when all is done and we're still alone, I won't be taken. I mean, I'm not going to lose myself in you, you know, yet I'll go meaning I can't help myself. And then, uh, you know, then it gets really intense. Like, you know, with my hands bound and I walk into your garden garden of stone and her garden of stone was just the fact that she was so cold. You know what I mean? Like Hmm. she wasn't loving, she wasn't nurturing. She wasn't somebody he should be with. Um, And then he says, I don't show, I don't share, right? We don't talk. I don't show you how I can love you. I I don't share. uh, I don't need what you have to give, right? Because she's not giving him what he needs. Um, And then of course uh, it, it ends with that, you know, I don't know, I don't care. I don't need you for me to live. And so he kind of decides that it's time to move on. And so, after this very troublesome so that was my original interpretation of it mm-hmm. I I don't think it's an accurate interpretation of what the song means I, I think it, it can be viewed that way but I think a more accurate representation probably relates to the metaphor that you mentioned you know which is this idea that the garden of stone is essentially a cemetery and and it has more to do with uh, questions of faith and and death and mm. loss and I think that that really is more what the song is is truly about, but you know, I guess you can interpret it any way you want, but I mean, it's a powerful song no matter how you look at it.
0: Would you would you consider this to be, we've only had, you know, 15 or so episodes, so we've only gone through, in this way, 15 or so lyrics. Would you say to your recollection that this is one of the most complex lyrical songs? Oh, for sure. I mean, when
1: It first came out, I I feel like some of Eddie's writing in the early years was very much veiled. There was a lot of innuendo, insinuation, um, implication, suggestion, sometimes in his lyrics. And I feel like it's not that he's on the nose with the way he writes lyrics now, but I feel like the message is is far easier to obtain um, because he wants the purpose seen, heard, and delivered in the music that he writes now.
0: I don't know. Um, sitting bullshit as our president is pretty... Uh, <laughs> <artful>. <laughs> okay, case in point. So
1: with this particular song here, I I, I think it's it's very poetic. And, and I think he does a great job with symbolism and metaphor. And there's a lot of great stuff happening in that respect. But it is very nuanced. It is very complex. And I think it adds to the poignancy and the beauty of the song. And sometimes complexity can... Be an asset. It, it, it can be the boon of a song's existence as opposed to the bane. And that works really, really well here. All good points. All right, let's move on. Ready to stand up! All
0: right, Paul, we've got our live cut of Garden. Where are we going and when are we going? We're going to
1: Zurich, my friend. Ah, London, Switzerland. Switzerland. Yeah, exactly. We're going to Zurich on June 18th, 1992. 500 people in attendance at this show, man. Um, they, were in a, uh, they were happy to be there. You know, you, if you listen to this show and, and you'll find that, I would imagine a lot of the folks listening to this podcast probably own this bootleg in some capacity. Um, or I should say some version of it, right? Because it's been there's different masterings of it out there, I think, but it was a great show. It was, it was the show that they actually performed the mama son trilogy Mm -hmm. and actually explained it, which I thought was pretty cool. Um, That's what the show's known for. And there's an amazing version of porch in the show. It's obviously 1992. The set list wasn't that big. You know what I mean? Uh, You got a lot of 10 and a couple of uh, B sides and a couple of covers, but this version of Garden, number one, you know, we talked about reworking the song. I'm not a fan of when they play it with heavy distortion. I think you'll you'll hear you them mean, play that the main intro. Riff. Yeah, the main riff. I'm I'm not a plan when I'm not I'm not a plan. I'm not a fan when they play it with heavy distortion. It just seems to take away the ambiance and the the whole atmosphere that's created on the album. So I like it when it's a bit cleaner. And, and just to be the, clear,
0: um, your making the judgment that the distortion on Stone's guitar is intentional and not just a a product of audio quality of the bootleg itself, right? Correct. Okay.
1: At least it feels that way. I mean, when you listen to it, it sounds like it's like they're plugged in to play, uh, I don't know, like once or something. And then it just launches into the the riff for, for Garden. But I'm sure I'm totally wrong on that, but uh, in terms of tunings and whatever guitar.
0: I will offer one quick exp- possible explanation for that. Cool. There is a thing that guitar players do where they will have their volume dialed all the way up on the guitar, full distortion whenever they're going to play. And for the clean parts, what they do instead of just like slipping on a stomp box and turning off the distortion, they just roll down their guitar volume. And so that, that the the less amount of signal being coming from the guitar through the system means you distort less because the distortion is purely from the amplifier. So by turning your guitar volume down, you get a quieter sound, but it could still have a bit of hair on it. So if that's it's, the way that he was it, playing it. Then We co- don't need hair of the dog on this song, man. You know what I'm saying? But that, that that could be why you're getting some hairs because he's he's rolling his guitar volume off not to the fullest extent. A like, it's my only defensive yeah. stone, possibly. Who
1: knows? No, it. look, well, like, I'm not criticizing the intention or the reasons why he plays it that way. I'm just saying that there's something that gets lost in the song and agreed and, and, and for that reason, personally, I tend to favor versions of it where that gets retained because I think that it, it captures the essence of the song in a way that, that more closely reflects what we get on the album. Um, this version in Zurich, I think, does that. I think we, we get a bit more of a cleaner intro to it with that main riff. And uh, you, know, you said something really interesting before we started recording where you said, you know, he, Eddie doesn't really boom that first chorus, right? He doesn't really, it doesn't seem to swell the way it normally does. And I like that. I think that, uh, you know, towards the end of the song, obviously it's really impassioned the way it should be. But when they first launch into the chorus, I will walk into that, that Garden of Stone, um, he there's a certain sadness to it almost. Um, and I think that given the lyrical content of the song, he really captured something that maybe you don't quite get in the song very often. You you said it best at the beginning. You said he just sings it a little differently than I'm used to hearing it. And I, 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 for whatever reason, I just feel like he sung the song the way the lyrics should be sung, Hmm. I guess. And, uh, it's a tremendous version of the song it it, it's nice it's clean it's crisp and those those bass harmonics you they really stand out on this version man they really do and to me that always in part made the song and you don't get that in every version but you really really do hear it in this particular Zurich version and it's notable and it's a highlight of the track and to me it's the best version of the song that you'll hear from the 10
0: tour Excellent. Well, we're off to Zurich, Switzerland in June 18th, 1992. Bush. love that song so much it's so good to me uh yeah the cool thing about Zurich is and you mentioned it before they were happy to be there and I believe Eddie mentions that the last time they were there was when they showed up to their gig and they didn't have amplifiers and it was that famous like whoops I guess we're playing on um a little acoustic set on like this little floor that's the size of a stamp and uh yeah there you go and it was like a month before MTV unplugged so I guess it was a cool little uh little uh, sound check for that but I had a question about your choice mm-hmm. not that it isn't fantastic because it is people will often mention a certain version of garden to be maybe the best to their ear that being from Drop in the park in Seattle uh it's one of the rare soundboard uh shows from that era that came from the band uh, I believe it came in the um 10 box set did it not Mm, yes actually as a vinyl i think it did so what do you think of that version and and, and why and why uh zurich over drop in the park so
1: drop in the park at thirty thousand people at that show i mean that was like a quintessential and it was the end of their tour if i recall and they just wanted to they were at home and they wanted to bring it they wanted to end on a high note to me garden is not that song garden is very introspective um it's it's very reserved in that respect. Uh, it, it, it lives in the space of... It, it lives in a space of sadness in a lot of ways, but obviously there's an uplifting ending. Uh, but it... It seems like the type of song that would really resonate with 500 people. And I think it does that in Zurich. And so I think 30,000 people... You get back home, you're in Seattle, and that's where, that's where you're going to hear Porch Shine. That's where you're going to hear Live. That's where you're going to hear Once. I mean, that's, you, the big bombastic songs off the album. And so for me, it just Garden just, it's a great version. Don't get me wrong. I'm not suggesting that it's not. It really is a fantastic version. Mm. But it just never, you know, I, if I listen to those two songs back to back, I still feel like the version that we hear on Zurich, which by the way is a soundboard, cut. Mm-hmm. It just seems to reflect the essence of the song in a way that Drop in the Park uh, doesn't. I don't know. For me, anyway. Again, this is all subjective. Well,
0: send your hate mail to... Send your hate mail to... ...underscore <laughs> pod on Instagram and S-O-L-A-T underscore pod on Twitter and, at love and trust pod at gmail.com. So we have all the opportunities for you to send your hate mail to Paul.
1: And if you... Rate, review, and
0: subscribe. (laughs) You can truly let me know
1: that's true. How full of shit you think I
0: am. (laughs) Well, we'll read those on an upcoming episode. It'll be our version of Mean Tweets. But until then, Paul, we have all been listening to The State of Love and Trust.